All right, I don't know how many of you uh, wake up in the morning or just spent this weekend reading the Massachusetts Constitution, but uh, I, I know it's stimulating reading, and I, I'm going to be uh, sharing that with you this morning. Uh, I mean, it's just, uh, there's some stuff in there that you just won't believe that it's in there. I, I mean, it's really incredible stuff. Now, of course, I did not go to high school uh, here in Massachusetts, uh, but I'm assuming that all of you that went to high school here in Massachusetts pretty much know the Massachusetts Constitution, but for you know, all of you that are from out of state or from out of country, uh, let me just uh, get you up to speed. Now, uh, okay, for you that are from Massachusetts, I know this is going to be like kind of boring because you're like really familiar with this stuff. But uh, the Massachusetts Constitution uh, was drafted by John Adams. It's the world's oldest functioning constitution. And it served as the role, as the, the role model or the model for the U.S. Constitution. Now, again, uh, this is in 1780, and it still uh, stands today. Now, I'm sure those facts were just like common knowledge for all of you. And I'm also sure that if you went to Massachusetts High School here, that after you read through the preamble, which is about this long, and then you read Article 1, which is really one sentence, and then you read Article 2, it's about two sentences, you get to Article 3. Now, Article 3 is really great stuff. I'll read it to you. As the happiness of people and the good order and preservation of civil government essentially depend upon piety, religion, and morality. Okay, now I have to pause halfway through. I can't read it the way it's written unless you're a lawyer, unless you like sentences that don't have a lot of periods. And, uh, you know, the final period is after like, you know, 10 minutes. Uh, you just have to take it slowly to digest it. And then again, there's words which we just don't use a lot. Piety. What exactly does piety mean? Well, how about like holiness or devotion or reverence or, or faith? Okay, so let me just read that sentence again. As the happiness of a people and the good order and preservation of civil government essentially depend upon piety, religion, and morality. Okay, there, there's a statement. Um, I'm sure you're not hearing a whole lot about this in many other forms of your life. Uh, but reading on, the, the sentence uh, doesn't stop there. It's just a little uh, colon. As these cannot be generally diffused through a community, but by the institution of the public worship of God and of public instructions in piety, religion, and morality. Okay, so what's that saying? Uh, what it's saying is, look, these things don't just happen. You don't just become pious, moral, and upright uh, citizens. Uh, it has to happen through people getting together in worship of God. Public formats of worship. So the Constitution is saying it's imperative that you do exactly what you're doing today. So you are right, outstanding Massachusetts exemplary uh, citizens, all of you, uh, because you are doing and obeying the Constitution. And so if anybody else gives you a hard time for being in church today, you just ask them, are you obeying the Constitution? <laughs> uh, so uh, this is the way it, it, it unfolds. 
it then says, listen, as, a, as the legislator, uh, we need to invest as citizens and give the power to the legislator to make sure that the legislator can uh, authorize and demand that people attend public worship. And not only that, they go to the next uh, extent and say, listen, uh, the towns need to inspire Make sure that people are attending public worship of God in the Protestant faith, mind you. Not just like any old God, any old faith. The Protestant faith, public worship, and the government is saying it's really important that these pastors get paid. So if the towns can't afford it, like if the people in the group can't afford it, the town needs to come up with the money and pay the pastor. Now you're saying, wait a bit. That, like, let me read it to you. I love this stuff. I mean, this is just great great reading. I've just got a pay increase. I mean, I'm going to go like down the town. Okay. Yeah, I don't know where to start the sentence because there's no start to the sentence. I'm going to jump in the middle of the sentence. Just excuse me for jumping in the middle uh, and say this. To make suitable provision at their own expense for the institution of public worship of God and for the support and maintenance of public Protestant teachers of piety, religion, and morality in all cases where such provision shall not be made voluntarily. I took it mid-sentence, but basically it's saying if you can't raise the money voluntarily, the town needs to come up with the money to make sure that Protestant teachers get put in place so that you people would be outstanding citizens that are pious and holy and religious and don't give the government any problems at all. Okay, that's, the, that, that's it. All right, so that's what we're going to do. After today, you'll all be wonderfully uh, pious, uh, religious, and full of morality. Uh, That'll just be an awesome thing. Here we go. I do want to talk about uh, something uh, related to that, I guess. And that would be this. Two time-proven ways that every Christian can hear from God. Okay, this this is a big statement. I am saying that you can personally hear from God. And this is the basis for being pious, moral, religious, uh, in the positive sense, right? I mean, what, what the founders, what, you know, John Adams was trying to put in writing, which is almost impossible to, uh, to enforce, is saying, listen, that all of us need to have a relationship and a connection with God. If we do, God will make us into good people. Other than God making us into good people, we can have as many police officers, uh, you know, whatever. It's not going to make us into good, righteous people. But as participants of church, that's still an interesting uh, tall order for many of us. And the question is, are we able to hear from God? Or making it personal, are you able to hear from God? And so what I want to talk about today is how can you and I uh, hear from God? Now, this is going to be just like so phenomenally original that it's just, you're just going to be so like blown away. You're just going to say, Rob, where did you ever come up with this stuff? I mean, it's just amazing. Let me just uh, say that uh, Jesus is uh, interested in this question the question of your soul, the question of priority, the question of how do you get life, what gives life meaning to you, and what Jesus is saying, when we connect it to him, 
When we hear his voice, when we sense what God is doing in our lives, it gives us life. And it's super fun, and it's super rewarding, and it's super inspirational. And when we connect it to the living God who knows each one of us, it's life-giving for us. I mean, that's, that's the basis of it. It's not manipulation. It's not filling, you know, some law. It's not some requirement because your parents forced you to come to church. There's a sense that if we can do this right, it really does give us life. Jesus puts it this way. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? So I, I ask you this question. What is it that gives you life? Okay, with the backdrop of what Jesus just said. Okay, what is it that gives you life? If you gain the whole world, but lose your soul, what is it that gives you life? And what I'm suggesting is what will give you life is some connection to the Lord. And what gives you life and what gives me life are two totally different things in a sense. Because God has made and gifted you differently to the way he's made and gifted me. But the connection with God is what's essential. So it is imperative that we hear from God. And in a similar way, when I, if I had to ask you, well, what are you looking forward to in this year? What would be like life-giving to you? What do you say, well, this is what I'm really looking forward to this year? Uh, let me just ask, is there something in there which is, okay, God, I, I'm looking forward to being used by you, or I'm looking forward to one of my prayers being uh, answered, or even better, a sense that God has already spoken to you in some sort of way, shape, or form of something good that's coming down, and uh, you're looking forward to that unfolding. Uh, that would be uh, sort of normal uh, daily Christian living, by the way. This is not uh, something unusual. This is the way I think we should be living. So let me just pray, and uh, before we jump into the scripture, and ask the Lord to do what only the Lord can do. Holy Spirit, we just uh, welcome your presence here. I just pray that you'd fill every person with your Holy Spirit anew and afresh today and for this year. And I pray for today's sermon, Lord, that you'd empower my preaching. Lord, that uh, in what I'm saying, uh, would be able to help people to connect to you and that you would indeed speak to each person and encourage each, each person here today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, of course, when we use language like, you know, hear from God or God speaks to us, it's always challenging because people invariably say, well, God didn't, I didn't hear an audible voice and, you know, I didn't hear God the way you seem to hear God, Rob. Uh, but it's not that way at all. It really is a sense that God does speak to each one of us. And it is a little mystical as to, well, how exactly does God speak to us? So let me just read Isaiah chapter 55, the introduction to that uh, chapter. It's just a really terrific uh, scripture to get us uh, in the mood, so to speak, from God's perspective. Because God is uh, more interested than what we often realize in wanting to uh, connect with us. But God says this in, in Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1. Is anyone thirsty? Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take our choice of wine. Come take your choice of wine or milk 
It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does, not, does you no good? Listen to me, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. You know, that's just a wonderful uh, scripture because it gives us God's heart. God is saying he wants you to find life. And you will find life, meaning in life, a purposeful life, an enjoyable life, uh, a life that he's describing, you know, with physical food and spiritual food and like physical drink and spiritual drink. He's saying you can have the best, the best food and the best drink. And for many people, that's like their whole life. Like if I can just like go to the best restaurant and just eat out every night, you know, I've arrived. But God is saying, well, you'll eat well, you'll drink well, but it's also uh, an eating and a drinking and a sus being sustained by Jesus that is really what makes life significant. But God is saying, if you are thirsty, it does interestingly require on our behalf a desire to one God. I mean, it's just, it, it's similar to being, have you ever been to a, a really good restaurant when you're just not hungry? I mean, it's just like such a waste. You just like have no appetite, you're not hungry, and you're looking at all this great food and it's like, wow, okay, and you just eat out of obligation. But that's a whole different type of uh, thing than when you got like a teenager, he's 18 years old, you know, he's been playing football or gone running or been at gymnastics or been swimming. And I mean, they've got an appetite that this, that's this big and anything that you put down, it's like, and it's like, great. It's just so fun. You just like watch him just devour this food. It's just gone. It's like, yeah, that's an appetite, man. That's like great. And that's what God wants us to have. He wants us to just desire what he has for us. So this incredible novel idea that, like, as I said, you just have never going to heard of this before, of connecting with God is through reading the Bible and praying. Wow. You're saying, I came all the way to church to hear the pastor say, I need to read my Bible and pray. Yes. That, that's it. That's the whole novel sermon. I mean, it's just like a whole new way of doing things. I mean, it's only been happening for like, uh, you know, 4,000 years. But there you go. Read the Bible and pray. Okay, so let's look at uh, what Jesus is saying before we jump into why or how uh, we should read the Bible. Because last week I was talking about this year being... Uh, our vision of the church and uh, how as a vision we want to make disciples and uh, as making of disciples means that you first become a disciple uh, of Jesus or decide to become a disciple of Jesus or desire to be a disciple of Jesus, of which part of that means that you ask Jesus into your life. But the other part is that you then go and make disciples yourselves. Uh, so uh, let's just look at this in context, Jesus says to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, I mean, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you want to be his disciple, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. 
And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? You know, so there's Jesus' challenge to us. He's saying, if you do it your way, that's one thing. But if you want to do it my way, it means you follow me. You don't tell me what to do. Uh, you follow me. And Jesus will tell you what to do. But when Jesus tells you what to do, it's normally means that you really want to do that because Jesus invariably says, I want you to do the things that I've made you to do, or I want you to be part of the mission that I'm on, which when you get into it is a lot of fun. Now, that doesn't mean to say it's going to be easy. And it doesn't mean to say everything's just going to be simple. No, Jesus is saying, take up your cross. Uh, this is a bumpy road. But let me just give you the, the bad news. Whether you follow Jesus or whether you don't follow Jesus, hardship is going to be part of your life. There's no like solution of saying, okay, life is just going to be so easy and without any pain or without any hardship. The difference is you can either have meaningful pain or just like nonsensical pain. I, I just say, pick up your cross, <laughs> follow Jesus. The pain is not that bad compared to the gain. I mean, it's just an awesome thing. All right. Let's, uh, why read the Bible? Let's look at uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. This is uh, what the Bible says about the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Okay, so Scripture is saying this. If we read Scripture, if we uh, allow Scripture to uh, be internalized, if we allow God to speak to us in Scripture, what it's going to do is it's going to change our lives. That's what Scripture is promising. And that's certainly been the, the testimony of Christians for thousands of years. Uh, which is basically this. As we read the Bible, unlike reading the Massachusetts, Con Massachusetts Constitution. Whoa, try and say that one fast. If you read the Constitution, it's not telling you that it's going to change or transform your life. It's going to tell you perhaps how to run the government. But when you read the Bible, there is a mysterious promise that this book will change your life. And it does. But how does it do so? Because the Spirit of God is doing something incredibly mysterious and wonderful. As you read the Bible, God is active. And it is like the, the book is coming alive and things are happening within you. And God is speaking to you. Things will resonate with you. And, you know, when you read Scripture, some things will say, this is great. Or this is like really not great. It's like this really and then you've got to ask yourself, why am I resisting that scripture? Why do I feel like this is really not great? And then we ask ourselves the question, is God saying something to you and to me as we read the scripture? Look at what uh, Psalm 119 says, uh, and it's a long psalm, so I'm picking up two very short pieces here. And Psalm 119 was probably, we don't know, but it was probably written by King David uh, and the Psalms are wonderful because they express uh, our real feelings as we express them to God. And it's a sense of how we can relate to God and how we can hear from God. But uh, in Psalm 119, verse 25, it says, revive me by your word. Okay, so the psalmist is saying, 
He's picking up the Word of God, and he's saying, God, when I read this, I'm asking you, I'm desperate, actually, that you will revive me. In other words, give me life. Give me purpose. Give me a a reason for this year and for this week or for today. Uh, Revive me. Lord, I don't want to just read this thing and then fall asleep. I'm asking to read your Word and that something will happen. And of course, as you, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you realize what's going on here. David is calling the Spirit of God living in him to say, revive me uh, from intern, inside, internally. Verse 28, encourage me by your word. Look, there is something incredibly encouraging when God speaks to you and God encourages you. It's a whole different thing. Uh, as, as encouraging as it is for others to encourage us, which we should, and we all need encouragement. But when God encourages you, man, it feels like you can overcome all obstacles and any obstacles because it's like you've got God on your side. And we need to be encouraged by God because we face you know, a barrage of discouraging thoughts and information and news broadcasts and, you know, what's happening in the world. We need a regular input from God speaking to each one of us personally where God is encouraging us. Okay, so how do we do this? Well, Psalm 46.10 says this, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Be still and know that I am God. This is very, very interesting. You know, uh, like society is catching up with what the Bible said thousands of years ago. There are all sorts of classes out there today where you can do yoga and, you know, uh, ways of like calming your soul or staying still or shutting up or getting in a group where you meditate or you, or you do Pilates or you stretch or you go for a run or you, you know, like people do all these things because what they're looking for is to be still. There's a sense that their soul is restless or there's a sense that we're overwhelmed, or there's a sense that uh, we are depressed, or, or there's, there's a sense that we are dealing with anxiety. And the antidote for anxiety would be many of those different things. Go run, be still, do yoga, do whatever. But what God is saying is something greater. He says, if you can calm down and connect with me, And the way you have to do that is you have to be still. And if you're anxious, you're suicidal, you're depressed, trying to be still with your own thoughts is no easy task. And God is telling you, you need to be still. Make a discipline in your life so that you can connect with God and that you can be still. Now, I want to read this to you in the NIV because many of you like the NIV version. The NRV version says it this way. It says, be still and know that I am the Lord. Some of you are just ESV fans. I mean, it's like the ESV version is the only authentic version because it's just really. The ESV version says, be still and know that I am the Lord. Uh, Some of you just, just love the new revised standard version. And that's what you got. And you got all the study notes. It says it this way. Be still and know that I am the Lord. Now, I know there's some of you, it's the King James. It has to be the King James. Guess what the King James says? Be still 
and know that I am the Lord. You know, I think there's a message here. It's, we need to be still and know that God is the Lord. I mean, it's just what God is asking us to do. So how do we do that? Well, I think, again, there's no formula to this. This is what makes it so tricky as a preacher, because each one of us have a different personality. But what I am saying is you need to figure out what works for you. Now, what works for me might not be what works for you. But I'm going to share some of the ideas that, that work, and uh, you figure out your own personality and see you know, what works for you. But it is very helpful to have a Bible reading plan. And uh, I've got two out there today, and you can pick up one or take both. Uh, I think one will be more than enough, depending what you're looking for. And there are many different Bible reading plans. I'm just giving you two that um, uh, I think are useful. The one is this very pretty uh, picture. And what it is, is every book in the Bible and every chapter in the Bible. And the big idea is, as you read through the Bible from beginning to end, you just check off each box as you go along, and this just kind of keeps the track of where you're at. Nothing too complicated about that. You can go to whatever pace you like. You can read through the Bible in a month, uh, one year, three years. Uh, depends on your reading style. Another way of reading through the Bible, which I, I would highly recommend, I really enjoyed this method, was reading through the Bible chronologically. Uh, it's two-sided pages. Uh, it's, you do it in a year. And then the big idea is this. It's in chronological sequence. Which for us Westerners, that's the way we think. Everything should be chronological. But for the Bible folks, writing the Bible, the chronolo chronology wasn't really the big idea. Often it would be a theological theme and the chronology would all be like, you know, uh, wherever they wanted it to be. So reading it chronologically, especially the New Testament, you read Acts and you see, you know, where does Ephesians fit into that? It's, it's kind of helpful. Or if you're reading the prophets, oh my gosh, it's super helpful because you see which king is ruling and blah, blah, blah. So pick up a reading plan. Now, you might say, Rob, I, you know, I, I, I've got my thing going. I use the, the U version on my phone and there's like bazillion different plans. Fine. Nothing wrong with it. Choose a plan. Or you might be like, you know, ADD is like, okay, I've got my plan. It's lasted for three days and then I've got another plan. I got, and that lasts for a day and a half and then I've got another plan. Oh, okay, I guess if that works for you, do that. Uh, you know, if you've got uh, a computer, you know, one of those old things, I know not many of you have those anymore. You've just got phones and tablets, but, you know, you can get Gateway, and uh, that's got the Bible on that, and different reading plans on that, and blah, blah, blah. So basically find a plan that works for you. What I am saying is this. Have some approach for getting into the Word of God. Now, if you're brand new to this, I would actually suggest that you take a plan that reads the New Testament and over a fairly long time period, either the whole year or six months. That's where I would start. I would not start at the beginning of the Bible and just read it through to the end because the Bible is a book, a bunch of books put together and wrapped together in the Bible. It's not meant to be read from Genesis to, to Revelation. It's organized in a way where you've got historical books in one section, poetic books in another section, prophetic books in another section, you know, the Gospels. Uh, so if you read it that way, you'll go prophetic, 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 prophetic. Oh, poetry, poetry, poetry. So it's just like better to mix it up. 
All right. Uh, what about having a healthy prayer life? How about having a healthy prayer life? So uh, what I am suggesting is that you read the Word of God, and uh, that's a real novel idea. The question is, are you, and do you have a plan that is working for you? That's, that's my, my challenge for you. But having a healthy prayer life, look what Isaiah says in 29.13. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. You see, this is a promise by God. He's saying, if you're looking for me, you will find me, which is very similar to what we read earlier with Isaiah 55, 3. Come to me with your ears wide open, listen, and you will find life. God is saying, if you're hungry, if you will look, if you try and find God, he guarantees that you will find him. And I am saying that these are the two tried and proven methods. You're reading the Bible and you're praying. Now, when it comes to prayer, uh, it's very uh, enlightening, so to speak, if you just look at the life of Jesus. I mean, he feeds 5,000 people. You can just imagine like this experience. After he's fed these 5,000 people, he's got to be like a long line of people like wanting to hear more, ask him some questions. And Jesus is now in his ministry, he's moving along fast. He sends his disciples off in the boat and he says, I'll catch up with you. It's the end of the day. It's gotten late. Jesus has got to be tired. And Jesus takes the, makes the priority to then go and pray. And like, it doesn't really matter. Like the world is now falling apart. I mean, there's like a heavy wind is picked up. There's a storm at sea. The disciples are drowning. And Jesus is like, you know what? It's time to pray. And he just becomes still, and he connects with the Lord, because that is vital. Now, the mistake that you make and I make is that we get, like, panicky, like, we're anxious. And it's like, oh, I've got to do something, I've got to do something, and we go and off when we do it. And, you know, if I can just quickly first get this thing done, and God is saying, no, no, no. If you can just quickly first connect with me. Now, Jesus totally got it. And if Jesus needed it, we need it. And then after Jesus finishing, finished praying, he's now refreshed. He's now strengthened. He's a little short on sleep. But somehow other that is not as much of a priority as it is for me. But, you know, he's like ready to go. Middle of the night, he's off. Okay, disciples now walking along the water, go catch up with them. And, you know, the next part of the story. But the point is this. He wants to needs to, has to connect with God to keep going through prayer. So we, uh, we, re, you know, we do prayer to get relationship with God. We, we, we pray to get power from God. We pray to get help from God. Uh, we pray to give thanksgiving to God. Uh, we pray. We talk to God. And again, you know, the disciples saw something in Jesus. I mean, prayer was not a new idea, but there was something like, Jesus, when you pray, it's really powerful. And so they say, well, the disciples say to Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And, you know, when people have been new in this church, uh, they'd hang around with somebody that prays a lot or, or handles our prayer ministry. And often it's not uncommon for people to say, can you teach me to pray like that? Or like, how are you connecting with the Lord? Uh, you seem to pray so personally. And that's what the disciples were asking Jesus. Jesus gave him the Lord's Prayer as an example. He said, well, pray like this. But the point is, how do we connect with God? That's the answer that uh, we're trying to get when we say, how do we pray? 
let me talk about rhythms before I uh, finish up here today. Acts 17, 28 says this, For in him we live and move and exist. For in him we live and move and exist. In other words, if we can connect to God, God will give us life and it will be meaningful and it will be what we really desire. So how do we do this? Uh, it's helpful for us if we establish a rhythm, a daily rhythm, a weekly rhythm, a rhythm for every few months, uh, an annual rhythm, and one like once every you know, many, several years kind of a thing. In other words, if you look at the patterns in the Bible and the way that Jesus lived and the disciples lived uh, and the way they were connecting with God, they were intentional about setting some rhythms in their life. The daily rhythm is on a regular daily basis, you connect with the Lord. You read the Bible and you pray. And uh, let me just say this way in Philippians, this is a way of starting the day. It says this, don't worry about anything. Well, it's saying that because I know that you're going to worry about everything. So Philippians says, start your day off, but don't worry about anything. Instead, instead of worrying about everything, pray about everything. Now, we worry about everything and forget about praying. But Philippians is saying, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done already. Then you will experience God's peace. Okay, so you want to experience God's peace. You're anxious. Do this. God's telling us. Pray about everything. And then, uh, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. At the end of the day, this could be uh, what works for you. It doesn't work for me because by the end of the day, I just like hit put my head on the pillow and I'm like out. Uh, don't talk to me 10 minutes before I'm going to bed. I'm like, eh, comatose. I'm just like trying to get to bed. Right. But you know, for my wife, it's like, okay, it's bedtime. It's like, she's just starting to wake up and uh, she's going to study Spanish. And then she's got like four hours of quiet time, with just her and the TV and the Spanish. And I don't know what all, I don't know. I'm just, I'm a fast asleep. So maybe it works for, for you. Maybe you're not out. But Philippians 4, 8, 9 says this, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable and right, and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me. Everything you've heard from me and saw me doing, then the peace of God will be with you. So the big idea is if you're a night person, this is your time. You reflect back on the day, you think of everything that was good, you thank God for it, and uh, you maybe journal that, diarize that, uh, whatever. But uh, you're connecting with the Lord, and uh, you are figuring out how you can be thankful at the end of the day. So you bookend your day. So that would be a daily routine. A weekly routine would be that you commit to coming to church. And the big idea in the Bible was that people, if you were a person of God, God was going to make a way for you not to have to work seven days a week. I mean, this is what life was like in, in Egypt, right? Working seven days a week. God says, no, no, no. We're going to take one day and it's going to be a day of rest. And yet we look at society today and people are striving to work seven days a week. I mean, just constantly on email and like, I've got to check it. 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 God's like, take a day off. Take it. No, I don't want to take a day. I want to work on Sundays. Go and get paid double time. And it's like, you know, I can't get it. Yeah. 
take a day off. Take a day. So we've got to wrestle and figure out what our rhythm is. God's rhythm is take a break. Take a rest. Uh, you, know, you know, sometimes our understanding of God is so backwards. Some people are so exhausted. And uh, let me ask you this. If you're feeling totally exhausted, why don't you take a break? Maybe the greatest thing you can do is take a nap. I mean, you know, God is not against you just taking a nap. Take a nap. He wants you to take a day off. Uh, but every few months, God in the Old Testament would have festivals. There would be something on the calendar. There's something that they were going to look forward to. There was going to be some feast and getting together and celebration that people just anticipate is coming. It's in a few months. And they would have to maybe go to another city to do that. I mean, it was an effort. But they were looking forward to feasts and festivals throughout the year. Annually, the most holy day of the year in the Jewish calendar would be Yom Kippur. Uh, just atoning for your sins. In Christian calendar, it would be Easter or Christmas. You know, Easter, and you say, we're going to be in church that day. We're going to celebrate that. It's once a year. We're going to make this, uh, you know, part of our life and our uh, routine. Uh, and then there's another thing called sabbatical, which would be like every seven years. So if you're in ministry, uh, it's very common for pastors and preachers to every seven years of ministry, they, they take three months off. And the big idea there is you spend three months connecting with God through reading the Bible, uh, through journaling, through writing, through whatever it'll take to re, uh, be re-energized and, and uh, connected to the Lord. And now when you start these sabbaticals, typically the first part is, I just need two weeks at the beach. You know, it's like, that just feels great. It's super spiritual. Ah, uh, it's great. But the big idea is that you don't spend three months in a comatose position on the beach, but you actually connect with the Lord and you revive. And in a similar way, uh, you say, well, I'm not a, a pastor. No, but you, maybe every seven years or maybe every some time period, you do do that big trip that's a dream for you or, you know, the thing that you've always would love to do. For many people, for instance, they'd love to make a trip to Israel. Now, I've never been to Israel. I'd love to make a trip to Israel. But many in our church have recently taken trips to Israel. And I'm like, that's so great. It's not the sort of thing you can afford to do every year, but you could maybe do it like once in your lifetime or, you know, once in every 10 years or something or whatever it is that gives you life and helps you connect with the Lord. That's the point. What is it that would help you to connect to the Lord? It, do it. Just do it. Uh, God wants you to have a rest. And All right, let me end this way. Uh, let me ask, what is working in your life with connecting with the Lord and what isn't? In other words, if you've got a regular routine and that works for you, great. Go, go to it. Do it. If it's not working, change it. Uh, you know, Debbie Dean, our children's ministry pastor, she's super extroverted and she's like completely the opposite to me in many ways, which is so helpful. Because the last thing Debbie wants to do to get life would be to go on a silent retreat overnight. They would be like, are you kidding me? I just mentioned it. She starts shaking like, I'd, I'd be with myself. I'm like, and I'm sitting and I'm thinking, that would be awesome. I'd love to be by myself. I just love my own thoughts and my, own, my ideas are just great. I love them. I just... <laughs> And Debbie's like, no, oh, no, please. So what does Debbie do? She processes with other people. It's like just everything she's thinking. She just tells you about it. And it's like, and that's just like super helpful. If you're an extrovert and you like processing with people, like process with people. If it works, do it. If it doesn't work, 
Nix it. I mean, the idea is how do you connect with God? That's the question. It's not like I've got to follow some set of rules that the pastor told me. No, you've got to connect with God. That's what I'm telling you. You've got to connect with the Lord. That's what the Massachusetts Constitution is telling you. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> connect with the Lord. Get life. <laughs> be a good person. Be moral. Be upright. Be pious. But make it happen. Make it work. Uh, find a way that works. What is working for you and what isn't? We've got the year ahead. Set your, uh, your eyes on that and do that. If you know what gives you life, implement it. Don't delay it, implement it. Lord Jesus, I just pray for each person here today that you would speak to them, Lord, that, that you've made each one of us differently. Lord, what gives us life? How do you speak to us? How do you uh, connect with us? Lord, show us how to set up patterns in our life, uh, things which are helpful, that we can connect with you, that we can hear your voice, that we've always got something that we're looking forward to in the week, in the months coming up, in the years coming up. But Lord, that you would encourage us and you would speak to us. I just lift up your people in your name, Jesus. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's have the worship team come on up and uh, we're going to worship and then we'll come back and uh, have a chance to respond in prayer. Many of, whoop, many of you know that connecting with God, for many of you, is through worship. So here's a chance where we can ask God to speak to us as we worship God.